Hi guys, my name's Jason and this is the UK Money Podcast. On this podcast, I talk about all things to do with money. I talk about investments, I talk about um, personal finance topics, I talk about tax wrappers, I talk about what's going on in the news with money, basically anything that might impact how you deal with your money on a day-to-day basis. Now, again, I say this every single week, uh, but I am a financial planner, but on this podcast, I don't provide financial advice. All I'm trying to do is just provide a little bit of education um, and some information that hopefully you'll be able to take some value from, take some bits and pieces from um, that'll help you manage your own money a little bit better. Now, on today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be answering a listener question. So this is a really great, great question that came through from um, one of my listeners, Christian. Now, Christian has sent me through an email, um, which is a really good way to get in touch with me if you've got a question as well. So that's jason at jasonmountford.com. And Christian's question is the is a bit of an age-old debate, really, and I do hear this quite often. Should I be purchasing a property to live in, purchasing a house, or is it actually better for me to just um, rent basically forever or rent for the long term and invest the money that I would be spending on a mortgage? So I'm going to be delving into that a little bit today, and that's going to be quite an in-depth topic. So that's that's going to take up um, basically all of today's podcast. There's quite a few little bits and pieces to go out there, but I think it's quite a, a, a topical one um, because you know housing is always in the news. Um, we've seen a lot of growth in the housing market over the last 12 months. There's a stamp duty holiday at the moment. So basically going to go, um, go into that in a bit of detail, look at the two options, look at how they might play out and talk about some of the pros and cons um, of each of them. Now, uh, I'm not going to be sitting on the fence totally on this one. I know I, I kind of I try to provide options um, to you in this podcast mainly, rather than just um, saying you should do this or you should do that. Obviously, that starts to drift into financial advice. But on this particular one, um, I do have a personal view on it, and it's not purely a financial view. So I'm going to be explaining what 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 my thoughts are on it, what my personal preference is on it um, for my own circumstances, and why that is as well. So thank you to everybody who's been listening to the podcast. Thank you for um, the, I've been getting some some ratings or some, um, some reviews on Apple Podcasts, which is great. That really helps. So thank you very much for that. As I said, Christian has got in touch with me um, via my email address, which is jason at jasonmountford.com. Um, Another way you can get in touch with me is well, basically on any any form of social media, really. So I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. Um, I put all the podcasts up on YouTube, so you can leave me a comment there. Um, I am really still trying to grow that YouTube channel. So again, if you could head over there and subscribe to the channel, that'd be great. Um, one of the other things that I'm looking to do in future episodes as well is I'm sure at some point, even though I really appreciate everybody listening, you might start to get sick of just hearing my voice. So one thing that I would like to do in some future episodes is potentially get a couple of guests on. So, um, I'd really like to hear from you guys as to the kind of guests that you'd like to see or the kind of people you'd like me to have a chat to. Now I want to, I want to keep the kind of um, the content very similar. So I don't want to get on people who are going to talk about things that aren't relevant to you as listeners. What I want to do is I want to have people on who I can ask questions to and the answers to those questions will directly relate to the answers uh, to questions that you guys yourselves have. So um, please let me know if you've heard a a guest on another personal finance podcast, um, if you've seen somebody who has a YouTube channel that you really like, basically um, just kind of steer me in the right direction because I want to make sure that the people I get on are valuable. I don't want to be just getting on guests for, for the sake of getting on guests. So that would be great. 
Again, get in touch with me on email or any of my socials. All that information is in the show notes. So um, head down there, get in touch with me and let me know who you'd like to see. With that said, um, let's get into today's episode. We're going to be talking about whether you should be buying a property or whether you should be renting um, and investing instead. So this is a really great question that I've had through from Christian because it is something that I hear quite often. I have had a couple of clients um, go through the process of, well, uh, who have done this um, concept of uh, not buying a property, but um, investing the money, uh, investing their money that they would have been spending on a property instead. So it's a really interesting one. And I think, you know, in, in a lot of Western countries, property ownership is kind of considered the um, one of the main objectives that most people will have. You know, most people in Australia and the UK and to what I've seen in the US as well, um, you know, it's it's the one of their main objectives as a family or as a couple or even, a, you know, as a single person is to own their own property. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, um, I, I think one of the reasons why this can be um, a bit more of a complex issue is because it's not purely a financial one. You know, obviously, there's a lot of money involved in purchasing a house. So it is definitely, uh, there's definitely a massive financial aspect to it, but there's a lot of lifestyle and um, I guess emotional attachment to the place that we live, the place that we um, grow a family, the place that we um, get involved in our community. So I'm going to talk through both of those aspects because I think they're equally important, really. I think the financial side is, is obviously really important, um, but I think that emotional and that kind of softer side is also really important as well. So to kind of preface this issue, let's talk through the concept um, because for some people, they may not have heard of this as like an alternative specifically that people consider. So the traditional way of um, what most people think of in terms of their living situation is most people will be renting when they're younger, um, you know, whether they're at uni or working lower paid jobs uh, at the beginning of their career or whatever, be renting a property um, with the idea that they'll also be trying to save up for a house deposit. Um, and that's really one of the biggest hurdles in this whole process is actually getting together um, a sufficient deposit to be able to buy a, a buy house. Um, and the idea is that you eventually, either by yourself or with a partner, you'll eventually save up enough of, of a deposit to be able to go and get a mortgage and buy a house for yourself. Now, it's a really long, long process, obviously, um, the whole thing. So saving the, the deposit itself can take a long time. And then when you eventually do um, get that deposit together, you're probably looking at a 25 or 30 year mortgage. So it's a very long term objective to actually own a house outright. It's not something that most people are able to do in a short period of time. And that's especially true if you're living in um, really high cost of living places such as London, for example. So that's kind of the, the most common way that people will approach, um, I guess, home ownership. There is this other kind of concept that comes up quite often in, in financial circles. And that the idea behind that is the idea of basically renting forever, really. Now, some people don't necessarily think about it as renting forever. Some might think that um, just renting for the very long term. But the idea is that you you rent your property um, without really the expectation of wanting to purchase anything in the short, medium, or even longer term. And the really key part of this is that the idea behind it is it will free up extra capital or extra cash flow for you to then invest 
um, into the stock market or into a diversified portfolio. And the kind of the thinking behind it is that if again you're you're still going to be looking at a really not long time frame. So if you're looking at 25 or 30 years, the thinking is that potentially you could end up with having a portfolio in 30 years time that is worth more than what an equivalent house would be worth. Um, and that potentially gives you more flexibility. Um, so they're kind of the two the two um, sides of the coin that we're going to be having a looking at. It's either doing the traditional route of saving up a deposit by uh, getting a mortgage, buying a house, or um, investing, renting for, for a longer period of time and investing the difference. Now, one thing I'm going to preface this on because um, I have had or I have seen a client in the past who has done this. They uh, they were in their, um, they're well into retirement and they're renting. I've only ever seen it once. Um, because like I say, the vast majority of people um, buying a house is a, a really big objective. So I have seen it once and it was it was really interesting to see because there, it did put their financial situation under quite a lot of pressure because one of the benefits of buying a house is that um, even if you have a mortgage, that will be a long-term mortgage. But eventually, unless something goes really quite wrong, eventually you'll own that house outright. And for most people, that will happen either before or when they when they hit retirement age. So for most people, they enter retirement without having a um, a repayment on a house. They'll still have housing costs, obviously, council tax, bills, that sort of stuff, but they won't have to actually pay anything for their house. Now, in this client who I saw who was renting through retirement, they were quite wealthy. They had quite a lot of money um, to invest, um, but it put a lot of pressure on their budget, a lot of pressure on their budget because they they were in their uh, early 70s, but they had to make sure they had sufficient funds to be paying, you know, 15,000 or or I can't remember what the exact figure was, but, um, you know, over 10,000 pounds for sure um, per annum in rent for the rest of their life. And that caused a lot of uncertainty as to what their future financial situation looked like. Um, uh, So for me, when I look at this issue, more than happy to kind of delve into the issue, but one kind of proviso I want to say is that I'm going to be looking at this as if you are in, you are saving or you're investing up until retirement age. Because personally, for me, I think going into retirement, if possible, obviously for some people, it's not a, it's not a choice. They can't afford to buy a house no matter what. But if possible, if you can go into retirement with having no actual housing costs in terms of a mortgage or rent, that is going to make your retirement a much more secure, uh, put you in a much more secure position in retirement and cause a lot less stress as to what your financial plan looks like. So that's the way I'm going to be having a look at it. Um, Because for most people, I think that buying a house at some point, as they enter retirement at the kind of very latest, it is the the most sensible way to go go about it. And again, that's just my opinion on it. There'll be, I'm sure, other people who think about it differently, but that's how I'm going to be looking at this issue today. So the first point to note on this is that one of the key, um, in my opinion, one of the key um, areas or conditions that needs to be in place is that there needs to be a differential between what you pay in rent and what you would pay in a mortgage for an equivalent quality house. So often the traditional um, or the, the most common way this comes up is that people say that you can rent a better property than what you can afford to buy. And where I live in Manchester at the moment, if you can get together a reasonable deposit, I actually don't think that's the case. So um, 
I'm not sure about other markets out there. Obviously, I don't know the market everywhere in the UK, particularly in high cost living areas like London. Um, I obviously uh, don't provide advice on on property. So it's something that I keep an eye on, but it's not something where I look at every area of the country and I'm fully on top of it. So I think that's one really, really important proviso. And we tend to, in the property cycle, you tend to go through times where you either can do that or you can't do that. But the reason why it's important is because if you are paying the same in rent as you would on a mortgage, you're actually probably not going to have that spare cash flow left over to actually invest. Because the kind of textbook way that this is supposed to work is just for some really simple numbers. Let's say there is a particular house in a particular suburb that you could either rent or you could buy and you really like it. The idea is is that if the mortgage on that property is going to cost you, I don't know, £12,000 a year, but you could rent it for £8,000 a year, then you'd be better off to rent it for £8,000 and invest the £4,000 difference. So that is the really number one key point because if you're going to either pay a mortgage that's going to cost you £12,000 or it's going to cost you £12,000 in rent, then all that's going to happen is you're going to be um, you're going to be living in the same house at the same cost, and you're not going to have that spare income to then invest and try and make this strategy work. So that is really, really important. And like I say, it's going to be different for different areas of the country, and it's going to be different at different points in the property cycle as well. So the reason why there needs to be a differential between what you can afford, uh, what you're paying in rent rather, and what you're paying on a mortgage is because of the, the idea or the concept of leverage. So that to me, if you're talking about your own property or you're talking about a buy to let or an investment property, that is the main benefit that property investment has over uh, over a portfolio or share investment. And in fact, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like, the, in my opinion, the only benefit that it has over it. And in this instance, that, in my opinion, is one of the reasons why it's really difficult to outperform, outperform inverted commas, because obviously a house isn't a traditional investment, but outperforming uh, a, a buying your house as opposed to investing some money. So, you know, say, for example, you're looking at a property that's worth £250,000, you've got a £50,000 deposit. If you were to invest that £50,000, you're investing £50,000. So, you know, you get some reasonable growth on that. You can probably add some money to that over time, um, but you're investing £50,000. If you take out a mortgage of uh, £200,000, add that to your own £50,000, you've then got an investment, you know, again, house investment, is it really? I don't know. But anyway, you have a, an asset that's worth £250,000. Now, obviously, you're going to have to pay interest on that loan, but you're still going to get the compound growth on a significantly higher amount of money. And that's the concept of leverage, you know, whether you're talking about um, whether you're talking about uh, buying a house, whether you're talking about companies borrowing money to expand the business, whether you're talking about high finance margin loans, stuff like that. At the end of the day, the idea behind borrowing money to invest is that you get the returns on the full amount of money and you only pay an interest on the portion that you've borrowed. So all things being equal, if you don't have extra money to pile into the investment, the property is always going to win because it's leveraged. Now, there are some assumptions on that as well, because the other thing you need to take into account is what are the returns going to be? Um, and you know, it's a really tough one because if you're looking at the returns for the stock market, 
they are much more level between different people all over the country. If you're investing in the UK on the London Stock Exchange, you are investing the same way and in the same companies, whether you live in Newcastle, whether you live in Edinburgh, or whether you live in London. If, on the other hand, you are buying a property in those three three uh, cities, the uh, growth, growth potential or, or um, the yeah, the, the amount that that property will potentially increase in value is obviously going to be very different. So there's there's those two things to consider. There's the fact that you're going to have leverage with the property and there's also the fact that you need to um, be considering the returns that you might get on each of those assets as well. And really to work this out yourself, it's just a, it's a pretty um, it's it's a pretty simple mathematical equation really. You look at what would your budget be if you were to buy a property. So you take into account the mortgage repayment, you would take into account um, uh, the the spare cash flow that you might have for investment on top of that, and then you just project that out. You look at how long it's, it's expected to take you to pay off that mortgage. Um, and you can then find the growth rates for your area. So you could look back uh, the Office of National Statistics has got quite a lot of good information for different areas of the country. You could um, find how much you expect your property to grow. Um, and obviously, what's happened in the past is definitely no guarantee of what's happen- going to happen in the future. But it can give you a little bit of an indication as to, you know, in 30 years, how much can I, uh, how much would I expect or how much might my property potentially be worth? You could obviously then... Um, look at what the mortgage would likely to be at that point, and then you could calculate the difference between those two. And that's effectively what that has added to your net worth. On the flip side, when you then need to look at the investment property option. So you look at how much is my rent costing me? How much spare do I have on top of my rent? You put your initial money into an investment, you work out how much you can afford to contribute to that investment each year, and then you look at what the growth rates have been for whatever it is you're investing in. You know, if it's a diversified portfolio, maybe you can get five, six, or seven percent um, per annum over the long term. Obviously, again, you know, working off uh, historic assumptions is not necessarily going to be one hundred percent correct, um, but it's, it gives you a little bit of an indication. And really, it's then just about projecting that out and looking at in thirty years' time, do or twenty-five years or twenty years or whatever. Do I think I will have a higher net worth from having um, invested in a property, which is leveraged, or do I think I will have a higher net worth um, by investing into a stock market portfolio? And my personal view on this from a purely financial perspective, again, it is just my personal view, is that it is really going to be difficult to end up with a better long-term result by investing. But I do want to make it really clear here that I am only talking about property um, as somewhere where you live. You know, we're not comparing um, property versus a share portfolio um, from a pure investment perspective. Um, if we were doing that, it's quite a different conversation. You know, the capital gains position is very different for property compared to um, if it's where your own main residence. Um, the access to the capital is very different under those circumstances as well. So it's a different kind of comparison to make. And I just want to make it really clear that on this episode of the podcast, I'm purely talking about whether property investment is a better option as somewhere where you live, not as a pure investment proposition. And really, it just comes down to that level of leverage that you can get in a, in a, a property. You know, having a 20% deposit is considered quite a high level of a deposit. 
And that still means that you're getting an 80% leverage on top of that. So you're getting the investment benefit of 80% um, additional money on top of what you've got as a as a deposit on that on that asset. So in my opinion, if you're looking at it from a purely financial perspective, it's not impossible that you're going to be outperform, able to outperform that with a market investment. But there is a lot more uncertainty around whether you're going to be able to do that. Now, I have said that this is not purely a financial question, and that's because you know even if you run through all those numbers yourself, um, and it looks like actually investing is going to be the better option for you, it's not all about that, is it? Because the houses that we live in are not purely a an investment. You know, if anything, that's kind of a secondary to their main function, which is somewhere for us to live. And, you know, from my perspective, that's something you can't really ignore because when we're talking about comparing these two, there's a big intangible benefit to owning your own property. So let's say you run through these numbers and you work out that actually renting is going to be a better option for you in the long term. What you're then going to have to do is obviously you're going to be renting a property. And, you know, that comes with certain conditions that you don't have if you own a place. So um, number one, you don't have certainty that you can stay in that property for that long term. So you might have found the perfect place. You might love where you live. You might love the community. You love the house. You love the flat. And you've decided that that's where you want to stay for the next 30 years. But unfortunately, you are going to have to rely on the um, the fact that that landlord is going to be prepared to to lend you, uh, uh, to rent you that place for that period of time. And actually, if we're talking about our whole lifespan, the chances that somebody is going to be holding an investment property or a buy-to-let property, renting it to you for 20 or 30 years without that ever changing hands or, or um, you know, without it being passed on to somebody else is probably, probably pretty slim. So there's a lot less stability in knowing that you're going to be able to be in that property for the long term. There's also the um, the idea around um, making adjustments to your property or making renovations or amendments or making it a place that you really like to live. You know, you're not going to be able to renovate the kitchen when you want to renovate the, renovate the kitchen. Um, you're not necessarily going to be able to just um, redecorate when, you're, when you want to redecorate. You're not going to have as much control over what that property looks like and how much benefit that provides you um, uh, as, a, as a person or as a family. And from my opinion, that becomes more of an issue as time goes on as well, um, because not only are you, do you not have control as to when you might have to move, but that then means you don't have control as to what the market's going to look like when that actually happens. So, you know, you might get in the situation where you have found your perfect area, you have found your perfect house, um, but eventually the landlord decides to sell the property. Now, you might find that when you go to find an equivalent property in the same area, there's actually not one there. So you do run an additional risk from a lifetime perspective that either buying or sorry, renting um, an equivalent property is going to cost you a lot more money, or you're going to be forced to move into a different area. Now, that's probably not necessarily a big deal if you're um, a young couple or you're single, um, you know, moving a suburb over or something is not going to be the end of the world. But as you get older, if you have a family, if you have children in school, things like that, that becomes more of an issue. And as you get even older and, and as you go into retirement, that's one of the main reasons why I said at the outset that for me, um, renting through retirement is definitely less and at least less than ideal situation because, you know, once you do start to get older, moving house becomes a much 
bigger issue. And I've seen it myself is that, you know, once you get fairly elderly clients, moving house can be a really, um, have a really big negative impact on their mental state. Um, so for me, having that stability in having a house that you, you live in, that you own or you eventually own has a massive intangible benefit that means it's not purely a financial decision. And the other thing to consider as well um, is more on the financial side is how this is treated from an inheritance tax perspective. So um, you may have heard you you have a, a nil rate ban for inheritance tax. So you can have up to £325,000 in assets as a single person that aren't uh, before you start to attract inheritance tax. And that is um, per person. So if you're in a couple, you get double that. But there is this additional nil rate ban, which is the main residence nil rate ban. And that is an additional £175,000, again, per person, that if it's for, if you own a property that is worth more than that, that gets added on to your nil rate band. So you could have a scenario where you have two couples who have a million pounds worth of assets. One of them has a house and one of them doesn't. The other, it's just an investment portfolio. And the couple that has an investment portfolio and no house will pay significantly more in inheritance tax. So I think this comes into the idea that owning a home is um, culturally a very accepted and ingrained part of where we live. And the reason why that's important is because there is always going to be this political pressure to look after people who own their own home. You know, I don't see it changing anytime soon that that is not going to be the norm that people are striving towards. So you are always going to have a very large proportion of people who are going to have a vested interest to try and make sure that homeowners are looked after. So inheritance tax is is one area for that. But, um, you know, just generally the way in which people, um, way in which policy is written is the homeowners are going to have a lot more of a voice than people who are long-term renters. So that's the other thing to consider, and it is obviously a financial perspective, is how that is treated um, for your estate as well. So that's been a really interesting issue to have a look at. Today, we've had a look at whether you should be um, going down the traditional route, buying a property, taking a mortgage, using your funds as a a deposit, or whether it's potentially worth um, foregoing that property ownership, um, at least over the long sort of earlier, medium to long term, um, and investing the difference instead. Now, um, my personal view on it, as I've said, is that buying a property is generally going to be the better option. You get that benefit of the leverage, um, which is going to be hard to beat from an investment portfolio perspective, and you get the um, the intangible lifestyle and family benefits of knowing that you've got security in where you live. Having said that, you know it is. If you're looking at it from a purely financial perspective, it's just a mathematical exercise. You know, look at how much you think a property would cost you to rent. Look at how much spare cash you think that would leave you, and then you can easily project that out. From on an online compound interest calculator to work out how much of an investment portfolio you might have at th- in 30 years' time, 25 years' time. On the flip side, you can have a look at what the property market is like in where you live and have a look at what you think if you were to purchase a property, how much you think that might be worth in the long term as well. So I think it's a really interesting issue. Again, I'm not sitting on the fence with this one. My personal view and for me and for my family, I definitely believe in home ownership. I think it's really important for all those intangible benefits, not just the financial ones. So 
Thank you very much for listening to the show today, guys. It's been um, it's been a little bit of a different one. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really would love to get some more questions from you. So as I, as I always say, you know, uh, do get in touch with me um, via email at jason at jasonmountford.com. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. Please do head over to the uh, YouTube channel. That's the UK Money Podcast over on YouTube. Um, subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the podcast. Um, and also, as a reminder, just let me know about guests. Um, I'd really like to hear from you about the kinds of guests that you'd like me to get on the show. So thanks again for listening, guys. I really do appreciate it. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Hi guys, I just wanted to jump in really quickly to let you know about my free weekly newsletter, also called The Hedge. Every week I comb through all the social feeds and news websites to cut through the noise and bring you the latest news and ideas in investing, business, entrepreneurship and personal development. As with all content from The Hedge, the aim is to help you grow your wealth in a way that allows you to be your real, authentic self. If you'd like to sign up, you can find the link as well as the links to all our other content at thehedge.io.